Thank you, Jane, and thank you, Leah. I'm so thankful that whatever else is going on in the world, that the people of God, we can gather, we're figuring out things week by week, step by step, under the grace of God and together. I appreciate your cooperation, your working with us as we kind of figure these steps out, how to do things safely and how to do things to the glory of God. Our call to worship this morning is a responsive reading uh, from the book of Psalms, and we end uh, from Revelation. So I'm going to ask that we turn to that, and it begins with the people. Let me have you uh, start with this. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us stand and sing to the glory of God. Uh, Let's go back to verse one. Um, one of the things I've learned over the past year is that if control is your issue, this is not a good time to be alive. <laughs> okay, we're holy, holy. Are we good in the back there?
Amen. And have a seat if you would. <laughs> well, welcome. Those of you who've gathered on site, we appreciate you being here. And as we worship, I'm thankful for the invitation is the way I look at it, to, for us to join those of you online, whether uh, by live stream or by recording. We gather here, and by the grace and glory of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, really, we're able to um, enter in to different time and different space and be together. Um, I think you're sensing, as I am, the change of spring and seasons. It's kind of a half tulip time. What's tulip time without a parade? Well, it's this year. But I'm thankful for the changing of the seasons, the changing of our circumstances. We're seeing an increase in vaccinations and a decrease in cases and testing positivity, those things trending down. We're pulling together and seeing more options. As I think about our future, let me try to say this clearly. I'm here today, <laughs> believe it or not, and I'll be here next week. But the very next day, in eight days from now, uh, we'll be traveling safely, staying at a private single home on the beach, and I'll be seeing my mother in South Carolina for a week. And so three Sundays from now, the 16th, J.B. Worland will be preaching here as well as in Fusion. So you'll get a chance to sit under J.B.'s ministry. I'm thankful to be working with him and um, that he will be caring for you even as I'm gone. Well, when we get back, Mary Lynn and I, we're already beginning to think about some new options. It'll be warm enough that we can move outside, which gives us a measure of freedom for more fellowship time. I'm anxious to start gathering again for small groups like our Q&A after the service, thinking about that. For that time after the service, I'm anxious to get back to the Q&A. I'd like to think about teaching some more on the Holy Spirit, things I can't teach or can't touch because of time in the sermon. You'll see some of these things on the blog post, but to be able to talk and interact about that. I've also had some interest expressed about the Resolving Everyday Conflict group that Mary Lynn and I have done. So you just have this sense of things are uh, changing and moving forward to something we're all more accustomed to and like. Really appreciate your uh, support as we navigate things uh, together. We're moving into the future. I hope you're as encouraged and excited uh, as I've been able to be in the course of all this tumult. Well, we're preaching through the book of Acts and our Heidelberg question, our Heidelberg catechism question, oh, this one's working. Number 53, I'll start with my question and then if you'd confess your face, faith with this response. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Together, first, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me so that through true faith, he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. He comforts me and will remain with me forever. Let's stand and sing together. Breathe on me, breath of God.
Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would, please. As we gather to pray, again, because we're live streamed uh, actually now all over the world, um, I've been a little more careful about the names that I pray for, but I'll mention circumstances, and many of you have a friend or family who fits that pray. Uh, We can pray here together. The other thing I've been doing throughout this month um, is praying for our Muslim neighbors and Muslims all around the world. This is the month of Ramadan for them. It's a month that Muslims all over the world are seeking to come closer to their God. And it's a time that the Holy Spirit is moving in power in marvelous ways to take people who are seeking and to introduce them to the great God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to experience the grace of Jesus shown to us at the cross. You know, you may not hear much about it from anyone but me, but we are living in a fascinating time. More Muslims have come to Christ and been baptized in the past 13 years than in the previous 13 centuries. Were you aware of that? This is an extraordinary time where the gospel of Christ, God in the flesh, giving his life for ours, is finding people's hearts and minds in an extraordinary way. We need to be a part of that great work in praying. So I do that each day in my own life, and I'll invite you to be a part of that this morning in our prayer time. Let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you have loved us in the midst of our brokenness and confusion, our, our pride, our fear, that you have captured our hearts and are drawing us to the cross where your son in the flesh gave his life for us, that we might live beyond what we could ever do ourselves in the fullness of your grace. We pray for Heart Awake Ministries this day. We, we begin with our community because you've called us here. And so we pray for the decisions, for the guidance we'll need. Thank you for your provision. Clarify and focus our ministry that all people, first in our community and then to the utter ends of the earth, might know and hear the good news of Jesus. We pray for our sister worshiping community, the, the people of Watershed, for Pastor Mary as she preaches there this day, for all of us as we consider Pastor Aaron for the long-term leadership of that body. We pray for Pastor Fusion, as Pastor JB, as he'll be preaching in Fusion this morning begin to anoint his service there, give him a, a voice for the flock. We pray for Mission that will be meeting right here in just a few hours and for Pastor Florencio, again, that the gospel may be clear and compelling for all these uh, people in the Spanish language. And for celebration, Father, the part that you've made us a, a part of here at Hardawike. Bind us together as your people. Thank you that we can begin to gather together safely and in larger numbers to worship you, to care for one another. We thank you for the emerging spring and for the emerging spring of our hearts in this moment as we uh, feel this freedom. 
I do pray, Father, that for each of us, you would help us to live from the inside out, inside filled and transformed by your grace, a grace that is at war with my idols and my sin, a grace that is healing for my brokenness, grace that clarifies my conf- where I'm confused, a grace that gives joy and peace and self-control. Help us to live from the inside out with that work of your spirit inside, moving out and expressing that grace, expressing it in our community and our relationships with a humility that you have demonstrated and that you give to your people with a bravery that is yours, with a kindness that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that shows itself through serving just as you did washing the feet of your disciples. Father, each week we pray for those in authority over us as you instruct us in your word. And so this week in our rotation, we pray for the Heart of White Council. We pray for their discernment, their life together, their ministry to us. Thank you that even though broken sinners like every one of us They have a particular calling that we've affirmed to listen for your voice and to lead. Guide them as they serve. And Father, our missionary prayer, we pray that your Holy Spirit might move among Muslim communities, even those that are uh, closed. And during this Ramadan that they set aside for discipline to seek God, that you, Holy Spirit, would introduce them to Jesus, God in the flesh, who made known the Father. We pray for a mighty wave of saving grace to move through this planet and in this month in particular, Muslim communities and peoples. Father, we thank you that there is a day coming when every tribe and tongue and nation, people from each tribe and tongue and nation will gather around a throne And there is one looking like a lamb who was slain, that Jesus on the cross established his kingship, and from him flows a kingdom of grace and hope and joy. Father, teach us to be a people who pray and hear our voices as we pray together what Jesus taught us, saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, we continue preaching through the book of Acts. We're calling this uh, sermon series Devoted because this is a series that focuses on how the devotion of these disciples became the, the key to living in a challenging and changing world. This first 28 chapters of the history of the church that Luke writes, it, the church is a minority, it's powerless, it's persecuted, and yet in just a few centuries... They would have changed the world, and that movement has continued. Uh, 
We can be a part of that as we learn how to live as devoted people. Now, this morning, we'll be in Acts chapter 4. And in this particular um, text, it's really the continuation of Acts chapter 3. It began with a miracle. A man who was born unable to walk was told, silver and gold I have none, but such as I have I give you, rise and walk. He did that. Peter and John kind of explained that to the people, what it was. Well, it was received wonderfully by some, but others felt threatened. And so a new thing comes into the narrative of Acts. We begin to see persecution, but not persecution for behavior. It's persecution for the gospel. Those are two different things. And so we pick up in Acts chapter 4 where where Peter and John make their defense, their conversation with the leadership And then we see chapter 4 end with the fellowship of believers grows and we see a marvelous quality of life. I'm going to focus on verses 7 through 21. So you follow along on the screen as I read. Hear the word of God. Now the Sanhedrin had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question those two. By what power or what name did you do this? Referring to the miracle. Then Peter underline this, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, it's by him that this man stands before you healed. Jesus said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Now salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to all mankind by which we must be saved." When everyone listened and saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing else they could say. Rest in that quandary. (laughs) Simple man, healed man. What is God up to? Let's go on with verse 15. So the rulers ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked each other. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word committed to writing centuries ago that a well-schooled physician named Luke 
would certainly talk with Peter and John. He says he used eyewitnesses. He may well have talked to this man who was healed. Others who were there, he gathered this information and wrote it. And now by your grace, we have his writing in these texts, preserved across centuries in amazing ways, through fire and famine and pestilence and war. And so now we can open up Luke's words. We can translate and study and read. But more than that, Father, you will give us by your promise the Holy Spirit to illumine these words to our hearts and minds. Be present in our lives today. Thank you that your grace is bigger than my confusion and, and, and brokenness. But your love for your people will make Jesus clear this day. Thank you for that. We pray together and resting assured in his grace. Amen. And amen. Well, this is the second installment of a really fascinating uh, event. Two chapters from this healing to the second sermon and then to this moment of persecution. It's interesting, not everybody received this miracle with great joy. I want to begin this morning looking at this text by looking at what I'm going to call the before and the after. We've touched the event of what happens, but there were some things before that will illumine the event, and there's some things after that will illumine the event as well. First, the before. Think about it. Earlier, just a few months probably, certainly no more than a few years, just a few months earlier on the night just before Jesus was arrested, just before he faced an unjust mock trial, just before he was brutally executed, Peter and John, two of the primary actors in this event today, just months before would have heard from Jesus' lips words like this. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Have any of you ever pondered that Jesus made a promise, in this world, we will have trouble? (laughs) And like the music man said, that starts with T, that rhymes with P, that stands for pool, which in the music man was social collapse. (laughs) You see the connection? Jesus promised Peter and John just a few months before this moment that they would have trouble in the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. A little after that, Jesus would tell them, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of joy within them. You see, there would be trouble but there would also be peace and joy. And this from the words of Jesus within about a few hours' time and probably no more than a few months than this event we read about today. Can you imagine that those words still stuck with them as they stood before the Sanhedrin? Trouble? Yeah, boy, we're in trouble. Peace and joy within us? How could that be? Well, that's the before from just a few months earlier. Now the after. And to do that, I go back several decades after this event when Peter, at the end of his life and ministry, is writing his first epistle. Listen to what Peter writes in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. See, that's what Peter and John are doing in this moment. Decades later, Peter would write that. Always be prepared to give an answer. Show people the reason for the hope you have. But, he goes on to write, do this with gentleness and respect. Give an answer for the hope that's within you, even as your world is filled with trouble, but do it with gentleness and respect. It just gives you the perspective of what's happening through the life of Peter in this moment. Decades later, we need to see that we're called to make a ready response, a defense, really. And I want to ask you some questions. And again, I felt a need week to week to to encourage you. When I ask these questions, I mean to be penetrating, even provocative, kind of poke the tiger a bit, not so that you might feel inadequate and shame, or not that you feel judged and shortcoming, but that you can see something greater than perhaps you've ever experienced and sense the invitation to more than you've ever had. That's the conviction of grace, that grace is calling me to more than I've ever known. And that's why I wanted you to ask questions like this. Have you taken time to ponder, by that I mean to reflect on, to study the hope that you have through Christ at the cross? Can you look to the cross and begin to connect that to hope for your life. Have you, have you tested it? That in a time that seems hopeless, gone to the cross and begun to find that as the resource that God intends it and that it is. Have you learned from others? There are writers, there are neighbors, there are people we share life who faced hopeless situations where the circumstances were hopeless, but where Christ was the channel of hope for them. Second, do you know how to speak to others? And by speak to others, I don't mean shout in your echo chamber with those who agree with you. I mean speak to people who are different than you. That's what Peter and John are doing. Speak so that they can hear you and understand you. So often, I can't even call it conversation, but our world is just filled with people I mean, the internet is a great place to go to find people who already agree with you. And Google works to make that happen. Google isn't confronting you with new ideas. It's confronting you with the same old thing, particularly if it gets you upset and keeps you on so they can sell you stuff. No, have you listened? Because that's how you learn how to speak by listening to what are the heart cries of people who are different than you so that you can speak to them about the hope that's in you. We first listen to others clearly so that we might take what God has given us and share it with them in a way they hear. That's why I think Peter points out that we do it with gentleness and respect. You know, for years, I had been trained, and my inner motivation structure is such that I just loved winning arguments. And you know what I discovered over time? That a strong argument that humiliated you never quite got you to believe. I never prayed with anybody to receive Christ after I humiliated them with my superior argument. 
gentleness and respect, Peter says. And so I would ask you, is that what others experience from you? What are the topics that are hard for you to speak with gentleness and respect? Have you got a few? I do. Boy, there's some things you touch in me and I'm, I'm there. Another thing I discovered from meditating in the scripture in Galatians 5, did you know that kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? That means that God, as he rules in my heart, wants to see kindness flow from me. And I, at one point, had memorized that fruit of the Holy Spirit. I was seeking the Holy Spirit for that in my life. And you know what one day it occurred to me? Winning the argument is not listed as a fruit of the Spirit. Why did I go to school? I went to school to to learn and to have my heart and mind cultivated after the truth of Christ. But when my heart got more excited about proving itself by defeating you, I'd stepped into the area of idolatry. Winning is not a fruit of the Spirit. I had to come to see that God's purpose when I talk with someone I disagree with is that I love them. Not that I change their mind. Who changes minds? I don't mind sharing my convictions. I'm happy to answer questions and give a ready defense for the hope that is within me. But I am no better, no worse because I've won an argument. I am called to love people. See, I later discovered about myself that deep inside my heart, I knew that if we disagree, me and another person, then one of us is wrong. And I felt a voice of shame if I was wrong and a voice of pride if I was right. I needed to die to self and live to the gospel of God's grace that his work in me might flow through as love and kindness. A ready defense, a real hope and able to share that, but with gentleness and kindness. That's how God calls us to communicate. So this is kind of the before and the after, and we see it all played out in this event. Let's talk about what's happening here. Uh, You read, Peter and John are brought before the rulers, the Sanhedrin, the priests, all the people with power. Remember, Peter and John had no power. John was a young man, hadn't started much in his own life. He'd be like a a Gen Z kind of guy, working through college, but then dropped out. Peter had been a small businessman, but gave up the business to follow this Jesus guy. They have no power. The Sanhedrin, the rulers, the priests, they have it all. They represent the temple. They keep the Romans at bay. They have everything. And now they ask Peter the question, by what power or in whose, by na- whose name do you do this? Because remember, the healed man is standing right there. Now, let's go over the list of grievances that Peter brings to them. We're done. How about the demands that Peter makes? Those guards were brutal to me. I have rights, you know. What grievances and demands did Peter and John make that day? None. Let that silence ring for a moment. What do they speak about? The death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Last week, I talked about how the gospel is an announcement of what God has done. That's what these folks are doing. They're not demanding their rights. They're not pushing their agenda. They're not, couldn't care less about Pharisees or Sadducees or Zealots. Who cares about a party or an agenda? I want you to know what God has done. That's what's happening here. They're standing firm not for themselves or for one partisan option or another. They're standing firm for the gospel of grace. That's because, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe. You know, I look around the world and there is a whole lot of shaking going on. I look at the cross and I see a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what Peter and John wanted to communicate. I couldn't care less if the world doesn't know who I'm voting for. But I pray and seek and yearn to let the world know of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In less than 40 years from this moment of this event, less than 40 years, everything of power on this day in Acts 4 will be wiped away. Only God's kingdom will stand. Only Peter's message remains from that day to this. The Romans, gone. The temple, gone. Sadducees, Pharisees, zealots, the whole lot of them. Footnote in history. But the message of the gospel remains. That message has gone out in a variety of languages for how many centuries to a variety of tribes and tongues and people groups. It remains. Everything else from that day is gone. Everything else that was threatening. Everything else that was trouble. But the kingdom of God and the goodness of God shown to us at the cross is there. How does this happen, friends? How could Peter and John, these simple men, this was the tension in the text, if you will. This was the question they had. How did this happen? And I want to tell you, it's the promise of Jesus, namely God the Spirit. Jesus has said, don't worry, I will give you words. These were men who had not only been with Jesus, but because of the Holy Spirit, he was with them there. Now, I go into more detail on this, on the sermon resources and the click there, the keeping focus on the Holy Spirit, but I want to very briefly and simply give you the framework from the Scripture of how the Holy Spirit moves in the life of a believer, two-fold way after the cross. First is an upon. There's an anointing for service, and this is the whole New Testament teaching about gifts. It starts in the Old Testament. Moses is anointed for leadership. He serves God's people. In Exodus, Bezalel is anointed for craftsmanship. There's a temporary empowering for service. But there's also, particularly after the cross, there's a move within of the Holy Spirit for character, a change of heart and motivation. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control. There's a move upon 
for service and power. There's a move within for character and fruit of the Holy Spirit. In uh, this passage in Acts in verse 8, Luke writes that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit upon. The Spirit came upon to give him what to say. His gentleness was a work of the Spirit within to change his heart. You see, it's both. It's both. I've known people who, by the grace of God, have great gifts. God does amazing things to them. But if there's no character, what happens over time? Sin will cause them to stumble. It's possible to be so focused on the gifts and the service that trouble lies down the road. I've also known people of great character who'd sought God, and you could see in their motivations, but they'd never been taught or discovered that God was empowering them for service, that he would give gifts of of hospitality or teaching or prophecy or whatever. And so they, and how does someone of great character preach a sermon that feels like a theological treatise? See, I don't preach this morning out of my training. I don't preach out of my character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a moment that God needs to anoint and make present to you what God is doing. Is character important? Absolutely. My lack of character would contradict anything I would say. Together, the Spirit upon us, gifts and service, the Spirit within us by God's grace, producing character. This is how the Holy Spirit works, and we see that in Peter's life here today. The Spirit's upon him to give him what to say. The Spirit is within him to give him a heart of gentleness in the face of persecution. This is the Spirit-filled life, if you will. So how does this happen? How do you speak with power and yet live with gentleness and respect? I've been meditating on this particular passage through the week as part of my preparation, and it brought me back to an old song I'd learned. I talk with Mary Lynn. She remembers the song, but she doesn't remember the night that I first learned it, and maybe she wasn't with me. I'm sure I was probably in high school, and I found my way to a primarily African-American church. I'm guessing that I'd played Saturday night or Friday night with some guys in the band, and they said, oh, you need to come worship with us Sunday evening. So I did. And I was at an African-American church. And if you've never done that, all I know to say, beloved brethren, they worship a little different. And I remember this song to this day. Someone singing, this piece that I've got, the world didn't give it to me. Except they did it, the world didn't give it to me. You hear that little flatted third thing? You know just how that is. This is church like where Sister Aretha Franklin grew up. This piece that I've got, the world didn't give it to me. This piece that I've got, the world didn't give it to me. Come on up, Mahalia Jackson, and will you sing, the world didn't give it. So the world can't take it away. That's Peter and John here. They have a peace in the midst of trouble that the world didn't give to them, so the world can't take it away. They have a wisdom that comes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
The world didn't give that, so the world can't take it away. This is something that you receive from God. I love the catechism. We use it in our worship, but the catechism can only inform you about God's peace. God himself is the one who has to give you his peace. As a pastor, I can inform you, and I try to do that, but it's better if I help you learn to be with Jesus, to share some space and time with Jesus, me, and you. Andrew Murray wrote the book with Christ in the school of prayer because he knew that people don't learn to pray with an information dump from the pastor. But Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, will invite his people into relationship with him, and he himself, in his school of prayer, is the best teacher in prayer. Can I tell you things about prayer? Sure, happy to do that. But Jesus is the one who forms deep within us a prayer life. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. I look around, and I see people whose joy is given by this candidate or taken away by that candidate. I want to invite you to the hope of the gospel. If your joy is coming from your circumstances... The gospel has more for you. If your peace, you know, we're going to be careful as we travel to South Carolina, not because I live in fear, but because I live wisely. I have a peace that the world and its circumstances cannot give to me. And I have a peace that the world and its circumstances can't take away from me. That came from being with Jesus. In our collaboration this week, we heard a story from N.T. Wright, an English um, uh, New Testament scholar. Really appreciate his work. He heard a story from Jennifer. Jennifer was teaching some basic geography to a class of <laughs> eight-year-olds. Imagine that challenge. They were studying the continent of Australia. They had just drawn a rough map together, and they'd worked out where the main cities were. Then Jennifer asked the class if anyone could say what sort of things most people in Australia did. Silence. Swimming. An eight-year-old would picture that. Yes, replied Jennifer, but most people don't make a living by swimming. Oh. Barbecuing, like outback. Several more said, yes, they do a lot of that out on the barbie, but that's just how people cook their food. First, they have to buy it, and for that, they need money. What do they do to earn the money in the first place? Well, a strange voice, a small voice from the back of the class. A long time ago, nearly all Australians worked on farms, said this little girl. They looked after sheep and cattle, and they grew all sorts of crops. Nowadays, people in the big cities do all sorts of other things too, of course, like, like business and making cars and building houses and all the other things that people get up to do. But still, a large number of Australians are farmers. And the further you go inland, the more likely you are to find them running farms. The whole class, including Jennifer, the teacher, are silent. Who was this that speaks with such insight and confidence? Finally, Jennifer, the teacher, breaks the silence. How did you learn all that, she asks. We've only just started studying Australia today. 
Did you read about it before you came? Oh no, said the girl. It's just that we used to live there. We used to live there. My dad used to run a cattle farm with several thousand cows. I know all about it from as soon as I could talk because I lived there. Friends, that's Peter and John. They lived with Jesus. They'd been with him. Now through the indwelling spirit, he was with them. Friends, that's the invitation for you and I. Not simply to know about Jesus, but to go through life with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus did at the cross, you've called us into more than we could ever ask or imagine. You haven't called us to a particular behavior or to a particular set of thoughts or a particular set of feelings, but you've called us to a whole new life that will express itself with new behaviors and new thoughts and new feelings. We thank you that at the cross, Jesus said it was finished, so there's nothing there for us to do but to enter in. So, Father, in this moment, we do that. We thank you for the invitation to know you and love you, the invitation to trust you, the invitation to be anointed to serve other people and to be dwelt within by your spirit that you would produce in us a fruit beyond what we are. We thank you that you have loved us and you have loved us well. You've loved us in this moment. We would receive it. I'm going to ask even if that's the prayer of your heart with me that you might join me. Let's use the Heart of White Gospel meditation to close at this point. If you would just pray with me these words you see on the screen. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, and for all humanity. I am not my own, but instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great creator king. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Friends, this is our good news. It's not me, and it's not you. It's him. Let's stand and sing that to the glory of God, the ends of all the earth.
Now receive the benediction, the closing blessing of the Lord our God from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face toward you and give you shalom, peace. Amen and amen.